So we can't mm -hmm. take what we do uh, on the cyber side or the physical security side and just have a one size fits all. This is our strategy approach to how we're helping customers. It, it doesn't work that way. The technologies don't necessarily apply across verticals. The compliance isn't the same. The issues aren't the same. And all that being said, you know, drink your own Kool-Aid, right? Are you trying to sell services that you actually don't use in-house? Um, so that's one of the things that's always funny, right? You are asking somebody to buy something from you when, when you don't when you don't do it yourself. Right now, this only affects DOD contractors, but reading the tea leaves, it's going to start affecting other government agencies. I would suspect probably it's going to trickle down to just about every single department in the federal government. Hi there. Thanks so much for listening to the PSA pod today. We have another great episode where the PSA committees have taken over the pod. And today's committee uh, for the takeover is the Cybersecurity Committee. James Gallagher from PSA leads the discussion, and we have a great group of experts, including Matt Baum, the Information Security Analyst with CM3, Chris Peckham, Director of Operations at Olivier, and Josh Cummings. Vice President of Technology for VTI. These guys are, are very knowledgeable about the topic of cybersecurity, and I think they could have gone on for quite a long time. Uh, but we had a pretty good discussion about why security integrators struggle with cybersecurity, um, you know, what are their difficulties in articulating what makes cyber important, how do they help their customers see value, um, the struggle with monetizing cybersecurity, um, recurring revenue that could go along with, with cybersecurity offerings, um, how to help uh, integrators benchmark their cybersecurity efforts. So it was a really good discussion. Um, it got a little technical uh, at certain points, um, but I think that you're gonna find it really interesting. Um, I learned a lot specifically around uh, the CMMC, uh, which is the cybersecurity certification and um, you know, what that means for organizations and how they go about doing that. Um, all in all, I think it was a great discussion around the topic. Um, it's, you know, it's digestible and something that I think you'll be able to listen to quickly and get a good understanding of a really important topic. As always, if you have recommendations for a guest or a topic for the PSA pod, please send them to marketing at psasecurity.com. Thanks. Hey guys, thanks for joining me today. Really excited to have uh, the team here. Uh, members of the Cybersecurity Committee. Uh, we always have such good conversations, so just really excited to have this group here with us today. Um, today, we've got a few topics to go over, and uh, I think it's gonna be really interesting for the listeners. Um, Chris Peckham, I wanted to start off with you, sir. Um, why do you feel like security integrators struggle? Um, what are some of the uh, difficulties in articulating what makes cyber important um, to help the customer see value? I think it's a, I think it's a great topic. Um, first off, the customers actually understand the issues that are at hand. Um, and then once they do that, do they actually have the understanding of what the solutions may be? Um, do they see the risk the same manner that you do? Um, so someone in the industry may have a full under, hopefully full, has a full understanding of what's going on and actually what the risks are. And do the customers actually see it the same way? Um, have the sales folks been trained in that area? Is there a specialist that can help them with it? Um, that's always a challenge as well. Um, so one of the first things that comes to mind here is you need to educate the customers to make sure that they're aware of what's going on. One of the other things that came up is, 
you don't want to make sure that you tell them that it's 100% effective, right? Nothing's 100% effective. And if you do that, then um, I think your credibility is shot. Um, at least it would be with me anyway. So um, make sure that that's not part of the case. And then the same thing is you don't want to scare them. Um, you try to scare them, that's, uh, that's going to be a negative vibe. And uh, just to make sure that everybody understands the risks. Um, and some of the ways I think you can go through and actually get some some value here for, for both the customer and for the integrator is really understand the requirements of what the customer is looking at. So they may be in a regulated industry and uh, has a lot of requirements that are there. Some of the areas may not have as much so that that one sales te- technique wouldn't work in the other area, which would be a problem. Um, you also could help to be an educator, right? So help them learn what they don't know, um, expand the area for them so that they know more about what's going on and can then take what you're saying back to the organization and actually do something with it. Um, ask some questions, have a dialogue with them back and forth so that drives the conversation where they can go. Um, and you also need to understand what they're trying to get at, right? That's the basic understanding uh, that you need anyway when you're trying to go to board with this stuff. And then, um, and then finally, focus on what the solution does for them. Maybe there's some case studies that you could have. Storytelling is always a good thing that people relate to. Um, if you don't have those on your own, then the vendors usually can help pull that stuff together. But that all helps drive something together as well. And then finally, uh, perhaps it's a managed service offering, right? Um, you may not do it yourself, or maybe you offer an entire solution that you can help them with um, that'll drive it through. So if you have those things or a combination of them, I think it makes the conversation go much easier when you're, when you're talking in that area. Mm-hmm. And Matt, I see you nodding along. Any thoughts on that, sir? No, I'm just what, what Chris is saying, as far as don't be a FUD peddler, okay? Fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Um, that doesn't lead to credibility for uh, your organization at all. Um, and to Chris's point about risk, risk is different for every single person. And it just depends on the risk appetite of the organization. So um, there's certain, you know, there's a difference between compliance and and risk appetite. Uh, compliance is, you know, basically making you do something where uh, your risk appetite varies from uh, from company to company. Yeah, that's a great point. And Chris, I'm going to bring it back to you, sir. I'm, I have a question about how do how do you think integrators struggle to monetize cybersecurity? Yeah, this is one that, that I've struggled with for, for a while now. Um, and it's, it's something, again, I think a lot of people do. Um, and some of it, I think, comes down to really an understanding of what you're trying to sell and then what you're trying to offer um, that can come into play here. So there was a, a presentation at, at uh, the Cybersecurity Conference a few years ago where there were some, some great concepts here that I just want to share with, with folks because I thought they were relevant to, to the question. Um, you can compare really some things in the cybersecurity space to the physical security space to help people do an understanding, right? So sometimes the cyber stuff gets a little little hokey on on uh, what people understand or how they how they actually try to explain it. So um, if you can think of a firewall, really think of a fence trying to keep things out of the area, which is one thing to look at it. Um, activity monitoring is very similar to what you do from a CM standpoint in the cyber area, or if somebody's swiping in at two different spots on your access control system and being in one spot, or when sorry, systems saying in two spots when they really can't be. Um, there's a, an analogy on the same thing that uh, can happen in the cyber area. Training programs in the phishing area, people could see those as well as uh, fire drills or evacuation drills on the security space. So they tie in. And you can think of pen tests and vulnerability tests very similar to a physical security assessment, right? So they're not exactly the same, but right. it, it lets people think about what you can do with it. And I think it helps the conversation. Um, as we said previously, you know, the risks are a big factor that's there. Yep. And I think the stakeholders need to understand what's being offered and what you're uh, what problems you're trying to address with it um, and that type of thing. So I'll have to remember that 
um, as you move forward with it. And all that being said, you know, drink your own Kool-Aid, right? Are you trying to sell services that you actually don't use in-house? Um, so that's one of the things that's always funny, right? You are asking somebody to buy something from you when, when you don't when you don't do it yourself. So, you know, how do you make money at the end of the day? I think if you keep all of that in mind from the standpoint of how you compare cyber and physical, um, you can you have a base point where you can go. But then, how do you again deliver the services? So, you know, the first thing you can do is actually just refer, refer the business to somebody else. Um, maybe you get a referral fee out of it, but you got somebody that's just some random name you give to them, right? Hopefully, more than that. Um, or you can set a partnership up with cyber firms, right? So the piece with the cyber firms that's interesting there is uh, PSA has relationships with some of their managed service partners that can help the membership actually leverage that. So you can bring them to the table. You have a solution that you can then present to them um, that'll give them that holistic solution that lets them get from point A to point B. And then you can leverage some of the things that PSA actually has to offer there. Or finally, you can build the expertise in-house. So that's really a long-term investment. Um, you, you have all the challenges associated with that. Um, but at the same time, some training and certification that you can help give your staff right now helps build a foundation to move that one forward. And yep. my final point, James, really is the regulations, they're coming. Um, there's areas that the government has started in some areas on the on the DOD side of the house that's going to mm-hmm. come related to the supply chain. They're going to talk about that a little bit later on. Um, so it's not a really large leap of faith to go from where it is there coming into other areas. So you to make sure you're ready. And I think some of those techniques would uh, would help. Absolutely. That's a good plug for our uh, CMMC discussion coming up. Uh, Josh, let's uh, change gears and switch to you, sir. I want to talk about securing yours and your customers' systems, and in particular, how to help integrators benchmark their security. Yeah, well, I think it's uh, it's an interesting conversation, James, and I really think of it as two sides to this strategy, right? So you've got what you need to do internally, right? Mm-hmm. And there's things that need to take place to make sure that you are not um, causing more risk for your customer or for yourself in what you're doing in a day-to-day practice. And then there's really that outward focus uh, towards your customer in terms of the systems you're designing and the things you're deploying and what you're doing there. So, you know, I, I agree with what Chris said that a good strategy is to deploy some of these things internally, right? And yeah. even if you're not ready to sell these types of services yet, why not start building them internally to what you're doing so that you gain familiarity with them? And then when you are ready to turn that outward and to be able to sell it, you've got some use case, some practicality. You've been through that scenario before, and, and it's a little bit uh, easier for people to relate to what you're doing, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, things that we're doing internally and kind of as a benchmark and and there's no right answer. There are frameworks that you can go and adopt, right? And there are strategies, but there's not a uh, step one, step two, step three that fits everybody. There are different frameworks you can follow that will will walk you through those types of things, but it's not one size fits all and it Mm -hmm. doesn't answer all of the, the solutions. And I think part of it too has to do with the customers that you're working with, you know, understanding what your customer compliance is that you um, need to be able to speak to for them will also impact the way that you protect yourself, right? If your customer is processing credit card data and they're big into PCI, you know, you should probably have systems in place internally, right? That mimic what your customers happen to go through and knowing that you're doing business with them. Or if you're in the healthcare industry and you're working with customers are dealing with HIPAA data, you know, you should probably have a similar strategy for the types of uh, ways that you protect your own data about your employees and, 
and have a good understanding of, of what your customer goes through in terms of compliance. Sure. And let me ask you a question, Josh. How did you at BTI to develop those frameworks and strategies when dealing with customers? Yeah, so, um, you know, developing that strategy takes time and it takes um, some research and some thinking when it comes to how you're working with your customer and really trying to put yourself in their shoes, not, you know, making sure that you're not coming at it from the standpoint of we know all of the answers and we have all of the solutions, right? Your customers in that industry, they're dealing with that on a day-to-day basis they can educate you a lot in terms of the risk and compliance that they have to deal with. And a lot of times it's not specifically related to physical security, right? It's around information, it's around privacy, it's around um, their compliance in terms of, you know, you're in healthcare, who can get access to um, narcotics, who can get access to uh, patient records, you know, who has access to areas where um, you know, there are sterile environments, all of those types of things that they're not physical security related, they're operational, they're process and procedure, they're compliance related, but they actually drive the majority of the decision-making in a healthcare environment when it comes to physical security, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we've been working with our healthcare customers around the concept of they have these facilities where they want people to come in. They're inviting folks to come in and get services from them. Right. Their physical security is different from a data center, right? They're not trying to keep people out and make sure that folks aren't getting into their space. They want people to come into their space. They just need to control that. They need to monitor who those people are. They need to know where they go and, and, uh, and make sure that they don't get access to things they shouldn't. So it really sounds like it, it's dependent on the vertical that you're servicing then. Would you say that's correct? Yeah, I think internal to us, you know, we've got subject matter experts in different vertical markets. We can't Mm -hmm. take what we do uh, on the cyber side or the physical security side and just have a one size fits all. This is our strategy approach to how we're helping customers. It it doesn't work that way. The technologies don't necessarily apply across verticals. The compliance isn't the same. The issues aren't the same. Yeah. Chris, would you say that that's your experience as well in this, uh, this field? Yeah, absolutely. Josh mentioned a number of points that, that, that I covered as well. So that, that vertical specialization is something that, that's key uh, and it ties, it ties right back into the, the, the areas that you really need to operate on or, uh, or you'll, you'll get tripped up. Mm-hmm. And Matt, as an InfoSec specialist, you're, you're uh, in agreement with the gentleman here? I am totally in agreement with that. You know, it's not a one-size-fits-all approach and uh, different verticals, different organizations, uh, everything... I hate to say this, everything is situational, you know, in, in the yeah. cybersecurity realm of things. So um, we just need to make sure that um, we're communicating with our customers, make sure that we know what they need to have us do. Yeah. I think, James, too, we need to make sure that we're focused on both sides, right? I think a lot of folks are either focused on selling cyber services and having product offerings and not necessarily focused internally. Or I think there's a lot of folks that are very focused internally, but are scared to make that leap, like Chris was talking about, to get into selling cyber services, but you've got to do both. If you neglect one or the other, you know, the, uh, a big uh, focus for us is you don't want to be that entry point into your customer's system, into your right. customer's network. And that doesn't necessarily mean it's the system you deployed for them. It could mean that you're part of the supply chain and you're the one getting hacked 
turn has VPN access into your customer site because you do, you know, remote programming or whatever it is. And now you've just introduced, you know, all of this risk and potentially a threat to your customer. And it's not through the system you chose to deploy for them. Yeah, man. Hey, so let me go back to something that you mentioned, Josh, um, about customers who are interested in getting into cyber. What would you guys say is the best way to get a customer who's on the fence into cyber? You're talking about an integrator who's selling yeah. services? <laughs> Correct, yeah. All right, yeah, sure. Um, you know, I think when it comes to selling the services, you know, there there's kind of a middle ground from where you're working with your customer, right? Your customer may have a full-blown IT group that has the ability to do all of the capabilities and maybe, um, you know, has all these types of systems in place, or your customer may have none of it. And so you really have to understand your customer and where they are and what's their pain point. Are they having, uh, are they having employees who constantly, you know, get hooked on phishing emails and are, you know, giving information out the door? you know, look for the pain point and start with that, right? Yeah. Or are they having a challenge with uh, their IT group and mitigating the vulnerabilities that they have on yeah. their own systems? Maybe they need some services in place to help them identify out-of-date systems, out-of-date firmware, you know, or do they not know what's on their network, right? Maybe they have a security network and it's old and there's a ton of stuff that's been deployed and they have lose control over it and they don't really know what's out there you know offering services to help them go and inventory their software and their devices and their configurations so you know I, I wouldn't suggest just throwing a whole bucket of stuff at hey, your customer listen to the pain points that they have and find the right solution to help them address that that's a really good point thank you it, it's also making sure you don't uh you don't dive in and try to do something without listening to what the customer needs, right? Those those needs are going to be different, as we said earlier. And just trying to do that one size fits all, it, it, it's not going to work. And you also need to be able to, to you know, deliver what you're what you're talking about with them. So it, it all it all ties together with, with what we're talking about here. Yeah. Well, you know what, Matt, uh, I'm going to pass this over to you. Josh brought up an interesting point about securing the supply chain. And um, I wanted to talk to you about CME, uh, CMMC compliance and the supply chain. Okay. Um, I want to hear what what should integrators be doing? What did CM3 do? Um, okay. Who's it going to impact, and, and what is the end game here? It, right, exactly. And the CMMC, it's a pretty tall order. Okay, um, the CMMC, what what it is, is that it is a actual cybersecurity certification. Mm -hmm. um, it's uh, the CMMC AB, which is the accreditation body has published guidance to help us out with this, but it's it's really um, it, it's really more of a certification and validation rather than a self-certification. Just to start, you know, this CMMC applies to um, the Department of Defense and their contractors as well. Uh, there's currently um, a certification of 800-171. And that is uh, through NIST. And NIST 800-171 has various security controls that um, a, an entity, a, a company, would self-attest to. Whether they, they would say, yes, I am compliant with certain things or I'm working on certain things. And um, they sign off and give it to the DOD. 
So a company with um, an 800-171 where they're doing 50% of the, of the controls versus a company that does 100% of the controls, they get the same quote unquote certification, okay? They say, hey, look, I'm working on it. Well, the DOD had enough of that and they decided that they wanted to do um, a third party validation of essentially the NIST 800-171 with uh, uh, NIST 800-171 on steroids actually. So there are additional controls. So it's a very tall order. I've been working on it quite a long time. I'm still not anywhere near done yet. Um, and uh, a lot of people who are going through the uh, CMMC assessments uh, are feeling a lot of pain right now. But to take it even one step further back before we even um, embarked on the CMMC assessments, uh, we had pretty much no program whatsoever. So what we decided to do was uh, start with the CIS-20. Yeah. Uh, the CIS-20, um, as the Cybersecurity Committee uh, is very familiar with, and we've also written a lot of guidance uh, in, in the playbook uh, for the, uh, for the uh, CIS-20. That's the starting point. You have, if you have to start somewhere, you start there. You, you work with the controls that you can do. Um, then you provide some sort of remediation planning. You'll plan actions and milestones so that you can plan what you need to do, give deadlines and make sure people are accountable. And then circle back and see where you are. So then the, the, the uh, CIS 20 kind of ties in or the next step will be the NIST 800-171. At least it was for CM3. And we did a self-assessment. We performed the gap analysis, figure out where what we needed to do. Um, some of the gaps were the same as the CIS 20 gaps. We just had not uh, remediated them. So we circled back and, and remediated them as well. Did some remediation planning with plans of actions and milestones and continuously moving forward. So once we got just about done with that, then the CMMCAD says, hey, look, we're going to do the CMMC. We are at the uh, DOD contractor. We've already uh, been asked um, regarding supply chain and NDAA part 889, so that we went through the pain of going through all that. And um, with, with the CMMC, it's a huge thing. And I don't want to scare anybody, but it is huge. It's very detailed. And it's the old... Uh, how do you eat an elephant kind of thing <laughs> right. time, right? So don't let it be intimidating and, and just um, break it up into chunks, uh, do what you need to do. I mean, that's what we're doing right now. It, it's huge. And every time I think I just about have it nailed, I go back and look and there's other things that I need to do. So, but the pain is worth it because right now this only affects DOD contractors, but reading the tea leaves, it's going to start affecting other government agencies, uh, Homeland Security, um, Department of Energy. I would suspect. I would suspect probably it's going to trickle down to just about every single department in the federal government. So, Chris and Josh, do you guys agree with that assessment as well? Yeah, I think it's uh, it's a good idea to become familiar now to look at the customers that you're working with. Right? Are you looking to work with DoD customers? 
do you work with FedGov in other areas, you know, like Matt said, to see the, read the tea leaves, is it coming your direction at some point? Can you maybe get some more time to work on this? Because a lot of our, our uh, member companies that are DOD contractors, you know, they're, they're having to scramble, they're having to get all of this stuff done quickly. Um, and so just being aware of it, but you know, if you're not in that space, like Matt said, I, I'd encourage you, you know, go look at the CIS 20, the cybersecurity committee has put together a playbook. We're going to be talking about it at TSA tech, how to get from zero to 60, right. You know, how to kind of baby steps moving down that thing, you know, you may not be able to, or be ready to go all the way to the CMMC, but we definitely want you to move in the right direction and start taking steps and we can help you. And if you are needing to go to that extent, we do have a couple of folks on the committee that are going through that right now. We have resources where you can, you know, talk to those folks and get an idea of what they're going through, what kind of plan they have, and how they're approaching eating an elephant one bite at a time. <laughs> and Chris, how about you, sir? Yeah, same. You need to start something. You may not be uh, in the field where it's a applicable directly, but there's parts that will be, you need to be familiar with it. It's, it's coming outside the area that it's going to play now. And, and uh, again, start somewhere and, and go from there. Yep. And Matt, back to you. What do you think is the end game for CMMC? Uh, the end game for CMMC is to uh, tighten up uh, the cybersecurity in the um, vendor supply chain. Mm -hmm. um, again, with the self-attestment and the self-certification, you can self-certify and to, uh, Josh's point earlier, you know, um, customers, you know, are in different um, in different industries and they do different things. But in order to find out just where their cybersecurity posture is, you need to start somewhere and you need to actually go in and evaluate and do an assessment. A third party assessment is key to that. Yeah. Because uh, I, if I had a nickel for every time that somebody told me, hey, look, my IT people have it, they got it nailed. And then when I go in and even do a cursory as assessment, um, we find out that a lot of the controls are lacking. So it's sometimes best to get, a, a, you know, another set of eyes on the issue. Um, people are intimidated by IT, um, too. You know, nah, I don't want to I don't want to deal with this stuff. My IT guy deals with it. And, and that's cool, uh, but are they actually really doing it? And again, I've preached this for years. IT information technology is not the same as cybersecurity. Yeah, walk hand in hand, but operational IT and cybersecurity are two different animals altogether. We just put out a uh, interesting infographic um, available on CFA Education that uh, covers that exact topic about the intersection between IT and and um, infosec people who, who really should be securing the data, right? Absolutely. And it's it, two different disciplines altogether. Yep. But circling back to the supply chain and the NDAA 889, which is the National Defense Act of 2019, won't bore you with too many of the details, but there's two main, main uh, points to it. Um, number one, uh, part A of that um, NDAA Part 889 is um, a clause that prohibits the federal government from uh, using certain technologies from China. Mm -hmm. Part B addresses you as a contractor for the federal government 
using any of the um, devices that are prohibited by um, by this law. Uh, those devices are Huawei and ZTE and the uh, telecommunications end of things. Um, Height Vision, Daiwa, and um, Kaspersky in the software end of it. So the, all these things are verboten. They're also verboten for, um, regarding any subsidiary of these corporations. So that was a really big challenge trying to get that together. We had to figure out what we had. Okay, uh, we're like most organizations. We have an inventory of things. We just don't have an inventory of everything. everything. Right. Okay, so um, we had to go and really assess to see what are on our trucks, what is in our office, what's on our remote offices, what are we using. Uh, we ended up uh, replacing somewhere in the neighborhood of about 80 cameras at our location, which was a pretty big layout of um, capital. Um, but the uh, owner of the company was determined to make sure that we were 889 compliant. Yep. And that's where, you know, getting management buy-in comes into things. Um, my management's been very supportive to that regard. Um, we spent a lot of time. Um, we uh, notified our vendors that we were uh, seeking to be part 889 compliant. Uh, we created a list of all the hardware that we would use in the uh, federal space. Um, contacted all of our vendors and asked them to attest if they couldn't attest. Um, and we really needed to use this stuff in a federal uh, environment. We actually opened it up and took a look at it, make yeah. sure uh, the technology uh, did not exist. We communicated to our entire staff, had meetings ad nauseum about um, the products that were um, approved. And uh, then we developed a process to vet our uh, vendors so that any new vendors to come on, on board, they need to have a certification that they are compliant or they need to talk to me and then I will handle it. Yeah, then, I know a lot of integrators had to go through that as well. well it, it was crazy. So um, it, it, it was a whole process. We took care of it, um, and uh, we can honestly say that we are complying with the uh, NDAA Part 889. Yeah, love it. Well, guys, that uh, that brings us to the end of our time. Unfortunately, it just flew by like always when I talk to you, gentlemen. Always a pleasure. Um, we made several references to the uh, CSC Control Top 20 Playbook. Uh, that's available on psaeducation.com during the committee content under Cybersecurity Committee, and everybody can view that. Um, gentlemen, thank you so much for your time. Just always love seeing you guys and just uh, sharing your thoughts. Really appreciate it.